Welcome to Hannah's Heart. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. No matter who we are, we can be inspired by the fact that Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. So when she was praying at the temple, she had been weeping and not eating and her lips were moving, but her eyes were closed and the priest was like, why are you drunk at the temple? Because yeah. it can become an obsession when you want Wanting a child so deeply. And desiring that baby and to be a mama. Every holiday, every Mother's Day. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome. But this is a show that says, however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hi, this is Kendra. And I'm Ann, and you're listening to Hannah's Heart today. Um, thank y'all for joining us. If you've never listened in before, we're a podcast, radio show, and now like video show. Uh, <laughs> uh, that we mainly focus, or we started out just focusing on couples struggling with infertility and miscarriage, but it's kind of grown into something more of just different ways that the Lord chooses to grow families, mm-hmm. talking about foster care and adoption and that is our topic for today yes we have a really exciting guest yeah we're both a little nervous to talk to (laughs) the esteemed (laughs) abraham hamilton himself if you have the third the third yes you can't leave that off i love that you have that (laughs) if you have listened to afr at all he has a weekday program um the Hamilton Corner, and he's the general counsel here at AFA. But today we have you on to talk about personal things from your family's experience <laughs> yeah. with adoption and fostering. Yes. Um, we are so excited. Um, so one of the things that we've talked about in the past is kind of this problem. Um, almost every couple that we've had on that has dealt with whether it be domestic adoption or even foreign adoption, has dealt with some sort of frustration yeah. or complication with, they refer to it as the system. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I have never adopted. I have three adopted brothers, but I'm like, clearly the, everybody seems to love children, love adoption, and hate the system. Yeah. So yeah. We, we live in a fallen, broken world, and the question we want to discuss today is, are the problems that we see a result of the fall? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and brokenness, or is there something that does need to be changed in this the system? And mm-hmm. is there something that as Christians we can do? And if God calls you to adopt, how can you work with the system? And <laughs> are you gonna have show? to let that go now? <laughs> I like to keep it the system. That's kind of how when anyone says the system, that's kind of how the way, we're saying it, it yeah. on the yeah. inside. And and just give the audience a, a quick preview because you have a little experience in the fostering world. Can you give them the, about the system? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just that's how it feels. <laughs> Um, But no, the system was meant, I think, to be helpful. I don't know the history on how actually fostering came to be. I should look that up. Uh, But yeah, we have been involved since 2019. I guess technically 2018 when we started paperwork, but got involved really in 2019 with a child for the first time through the system. So uh, now we are sort of... Mm -hmm. If any social workers are watching this, I'm about to give some information away. But um, we are out of the system as of right now. Not Actually, not really paperwork-wise. We're definitely still in the system. But we just adopted our sweet baby boy (laughs) December 29th. So we are so excited. So he is finally, oh, he bring me to tears now. He is out of the system. So actually, when I was getting this paperwork to you and, like, asking you questions over email, 
the thought of like he doesn't fit in these stats anymore. Mm. I mean, mm. he does as an adopted child now, but sure. like he is not part of this staggering number right. of children in foster care in America anymore. And I'm so thankful. So, yeah, little bit. Is that what we were talking about? That's great. About? Yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd make that announcement for our audience. Who, they've heard him referred to as little man. Oh, yeah. I can say his you name. Can. His name is Mark Grayson. That was part of his um, birth name um, that has to do with a little bit of his birth family. So we kept that. And then we actually added a family name of ours, Thomas. That mm-hmm. is Will's, my husband's middle name, and actually my dad's middle name. Mm-hmm. So Mark Grayson Thomas Cockrell. So we're very excited. So I'm excited to share a picture of him now that we've officially announced. It's exciting. Well, Mr. Abraham Hamilton, jumping into your story, mm-hmm. you might not connect to the, the story of infertility that many of our listeners have, but the Lord did lead your family to pursue adoption after having how many children? <laughs> five. <laughs> five, uh, five biologically, yeah. <laughs> a whole handful. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, so it, interesting, um, when my wife and I first got married, we actually talked about adopting before we actually talked about having our own children. Oh, wow. Um, that um, was something that the Lord put on both of our hearts individually, and it just happened to come up. I was like, oh, you you, you want to do this? You want to do this? Man, that's wonderful. Like, we didn't even know that that was a part of what God had worked in both of our hearts when we um, got married. And just the, the thing, I'll speak for myself. Obviously, my wife's not here right now, so I can't say her part of it. But when the Lord just impressed upon me the gravity of adoption, Mm. Uh, as the the theological reality of what all believers enjoy mm. um, and just mm. understanding um, the parameters of it, like when Paul describes it, what all it entailed, where you have the, the verbal public acknowledgement of the adoptee, acknowledging mm. this is now my family, and then the adopting family being committed to rearing the adoptee with providing an inheritance and a trade. You know, we're thinking about our, inher- our eternal inheritance in Christ and then our trade of being uh, disciples of his, advocates of the Great Commission. It's just, it just overwhelmed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, oh, Lord, this is so overwhelming. And mm-hmm. uh, in a good way. And just being keenly aware, both my wife and I have been uh, passionate advocates for the sanctity of life for quite mm-hmm. some time. And we've we've always said, we don't want to be those who just curse, curse the darkness without turning the light on, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, we both had a commitment when we first got married that the appropriate time in our lives that we would want to open our homes, having no understanding of what that meant, what it would mm. take, you know, monetary costs and things of that nature. We just knew we wanted that. Well, fa- fast forward, um, we were married at that time, going on 14 years when we started doing this. And it was my wife first uh, who came to me one morning. She said, Abe, I think it's time for us to mm. adopt. And I said, hmm. <laughs> Not not rejecting it, but just thinking about it, because at this time... There's a lot of crazy going on. Yeah, we had five children of our own, yeah. and at the time, our youngest was, I think, three, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> at the time when we first started talking about it. And I prayed about it, and we, we deliberated and prayed for an entire year before we wow. agreed to do it after that, mm-hmm. and I knew it was God's timing for us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after my wife brought it back to the fore, a year after that, we put our names in and started mm-hmm. the process well, let me go back. We we attempted to go through the foster care system yeah. to foster to adopt. My wife found this website that just breaks Rip my heart to even think about it. Uh, that just showed the, the numbers of, of children that mm-hmm. are in, in foster care. Mm-hmm. And uh, we tried to become a foster family and the system <laughs> told us that we could not because we had too many biological children really? to 
be able to foster a child. When those numbers, let's talk about those real quick. 400,000 children are in foster care. This is as of 2020. I couldn't find anything for last year. Um, 400,000 children in the U.S. Mm. in foster care and 117,000 children waiting to be adopted. And so, goodness. And here's a family that is clearly flourishing clearly is um, experiencing a lot of love. God has moved on your heart to open up. Um, is it the government's job to determine if there's space in your household for another? <laughs> and, and, and it's important to note that they declined us even to apply without even meeting us, without really? visiting wow. us, without coming. No appeal process. No, without coming to our home. None that. of that happened. So is five the magic number of the limit in Mississippi? Well, they, they I think it was four. Then. Really? Yeah. It was four. I think where it, what I thought the rules were was you couldn't have more than four foster children. Okay. And I think the purpose of that is because of the monetary, mm-hmm. what you're, you know, getting. They assume some people are making money off of yes. fostering, yes. which and anyone so, that's, you know, half of a decent foster parents right. knows that. Now, that unfortunately, that you know, in all the, I feel like movies in the past, it has been such a negative sure. with foster care. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that reason, yeah. but I'm pretty sure if you go on like kind of what you make, at least for the state of Mississippi, you're making around, and I say you're making, like that money's for the kids. Mm-hmm. You're making around $20 a day, if yeah. that. And so you're also talking about providing these children three meals a day, yeah. everyday clothes, extra it things even at school the surface like, of the need yeah so if you're in this no. for the money i'm kind of I, I don't know where i told you i have from. three biological yes, or three yeah. adopted brothers um one of them at one point came to my mom and said hey where's my money that that we got and she <laughs> said you ate it <laughs> so they provided <laughs> for christian literally. education and you know yeah. all of the yeah. sports they wanted to participate in and it, it goes quickly for right. those that are um positioned towards um loving their children. Yes, yes. And and one of the things, and and this could be a policy consideration, I I completely understand you have a governmental agency involved and the best interest of the child should always be kept at the fore. But I thought it was absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. just to have a categorical decline without even meeting us. And then here's the the thing that's even the the, the kicker. So that put my wife and I on the trajectory to pursue private adoption. But we had to be certified by by an exact same agency that would have had to certify us for fostering. Wow. So. Not to mention the demand for younger, you know, for babies is incredibly higher to find a foster parent. Yeah. So it it just, I understand the prohibitions and the caution that they would have considering the the makeup of our particular family. But meet us. Come and talk. Come and see my house. See whether or not we can accommodate uh, another child. Well, see, that's where. The word policy, you might as well say it like the system, you might mm-hmm. as well say policy, um, because that was brought up so many times throughout the multiple cases that we've had come in and out. I hate to say cases, but that's what they are when you're talking about policy. At least that's how I view it. Instead of us talking about the children mm-hmm. and like, okay, does this visit the way you're setting this up? Is this really best for this infant baby? To do visits the way that we had them set up or this little boy to now be around his mom that did not pass a drug test that day. That's the other thing. Policy, from what I understand, Mm -hmm. unless something has changed, 
if bio parents come in, pass a drug test, mm-hmm. not pass it, take a drug test, they can have a visit that day. Yeah. No matter what the drug test said. And so that's where my question is with policy, sometimes is policy what's best? <laughs> or do we need to kind of look at policy and been like, all right, so is there is there time to renew some policies? Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you that I'm involved in an initiative to to encourage that renewal of policy. I mean, the, the notion of, of Christians adopting children and opening our homes, it dates back to the first century. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you have Christians in, in Smyrna under Polycarp who would go on patrols almost like policemen uh, because in the hedonistic pagan Roman society, people would do things that uh, create children mm-hmm. that adults don't want. Right. And so they would just sit them out on the streets and children and Christians would police the Roman roads to pick up children and take them home and raise them and make them family. Wow. Wow. You know, um, and even you were talking about, about the history of fostering and adoptions. It's actually Christians who started the notions of orphanages because wow. of the scriptural instruction. Wow. And this is something that dates back. It's a part of Christian DNA throughout our, I call it our family's history, church history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, to have the state to decline us sight unseen, to yeah. say that, oh no, uh, we won't even <laughs> receive your application because uh, you, you don't satisfy these certain criteria. I think the criteria should be at, a, at best guidelines, mm-hmm. not, yes, yes. not determinative on the onset. Uh, you should at least, if you have a family that's expressed interest, you should at least meet them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because there's also definitely families that might not have as many children in the home, but might not should be foster parents. So what about this term that I've heard, the reunification is the goal of certain states mm-hmm. and not others. And it seems like typically from the perspective of um, the foster parent, it always feels like... Um, there's these things we have to do, but I know this isn't in the best interest of the child. The parent keeps missing, you know, deadlines or missing showing up in court. They have failed drug, you know, how many chances do you give a biological parent? Now, that being said, um, there are huge studies that show the importance of biological parents and a child's desire to have that. Mm -hmm. Where did I come from connection? So, and of course we believe in a God that is a God of forgiveness. So Mr. Abraham Hamilton, how would you address um, like how those decisions should be made between how many chances a biological parent gives and is there anything that needs to be changed in the system? Yeah, I mean, I, I think reunification is um, a desirable goal. You know, um, as you mentioned, the studies suggest the all, all studies across the board indicate how important it is and how beneficial it is for children to be reared with their biological father and mother, mm-hmm. you know, but I, but I, I do think there needs to be a more uh, consideration on the best interest for the child. Mm-hmm. And I think the foster system could take some counsel from the private adoption system as to mm-hmm. how uh, private adoptions are, are implemented, especially, I mean, call me biased, but so what uh, Christian adoption agencies, mm-hmm. what do Christian adoption agencies do uh, that aids them in being effective in placing children. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, um, my wife and I, we've adopted a baby boy, baby David. Yes. Our little man, he's one now. Um, and it's just been a tremendous blessing. Our caseworker communicated with us from the very beginning that she was not merely our caseworker, but she was also uh, our son's biological mother's mm-hmm. caseworker as oh, well. Wow. 
And so in the process of navigating our, our adoption story, not, not just the story, but our, our adoption journey, I should say, uh, she was also my caseworker working with the biological mother wow. uh, to be uh, built. She was going through a lot of different things and um, she was committed to, uh, she actually picked us mm, to wow. um, care for, love and raise our son. Mm. Um, and it was something that was a healthy alternative for everyone involved. Mm. And I think mm. the foster system could could learn some things from the private adoption system, primarily uh, from Christian adoption agencies as to how the best interests of everyone involved, not merely uh, the preferences at certain stages of life, but the best interests of everyone involved governs uh, the policy implementations. Hmm. Yeah, man, I'm, I haven't thought about that. I haven't been through a private adoption, um, but yeah. And you've talked to a lot of people. I'm going to turn the interview, our, my host here, for just yeah. a tiny moment here. <laughs> what are some of the, the <laughs> Dig into her brain. What are some of the most common complaints that you have found from other foster parents as far as the areas that you see brokenness huh. or need for reform? <laughs> so as I answer that, I also want to acknowledge that, at least for the state of Mississippi, we have so many children and so not enough social workers. Yeah. Or this is re- not this workers. is not saying that there aren't godly Christians fighting in the system. Right, right. right. And, and this is definitely it. not to just like down the system. Like sure. it's obviously even the social workers would be like We need help. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because they're so overworked, so underpaid. So then it's like how do you expect them to always want to do what's best whenever mm-hmm. they're just trying to get home exhausted to their, their own family, family, you know? Um and so anyway, I do want to always just keep that in mind and thank the social point. workers yes. for doing really mm-hmm. hard jobs that a whole lot of other people don't want to do. Um but yeah, like the I guess complaints that you would have would be when they <laughs> They make these decisions for these babies, these children that don't have a say-so in what they want their visits to do, to be like, or can come back home and tell you, hey, this happened at the visit today. And so those are things that I've learned post-foster care um, with our little guy about the vi- some things that happened at his visits. He was an infant, so he couldn't come home and say, hey, this happened. I mm-hmm. screamed for two hours. Mm-hmm. But his older sister that I have since had a relationship with has now said he literally would just scream and scream and scream. And so those kind of things, you know, I'm sitting here telling the social worker, like, he literally didn't wake up last night wow. because, you know, he's three months old. He's still supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. eating every few hours. But he didn't wake up at all last night. He was shaken whenever he, his face was swollen, you know, those type of things that when I would get him back mm. would be going on. And I had no proof mm-hmm. in anything other than mm. he's acting a little different, you know, mm. but the social, it was out of her hands. At least she acted like it was because that's what policy said. Mm. And so that's what we did for policy. And so that's the kind of things, I guess policy really gets in the way, yeah. you know, of, being able to choose what's best, even at, we'll actually possibly have this lady on the show at some time in February, but she um, works at the, I say courthouse. What's the technical word for that? Um, is it, is it? Huh? She works um, for the city? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but uh, she would even say, she's like, unfortunately, that's literally just what's in the book. Yeah. That's policy. Hmm. And so it's like, 
What do we do about policy? What These policy are babies we're talking about. Not every couple that says they want to foster is the Cockrell family who's loving and ready to sure. adopt. So mm-hmm. they have to have, of course, some policies sure. in place in order to function. Right. But it sounds like there's a, a need for more workers and more time and attention to be dedicated to each child to be able to determine um, yeah. if policies need to stay Right. Or does this policy need yeah. to look a little bit different for this baby because of the needs? Or, yeah, does this visit need to be done with a social worker? Yeah. That's the problem, too. There's not enough social workers to then go out to these houses and see if these houses are still up to par because you, you're supposed to have a resource worker come to your home mm-hmm. at least once a month. And then per case, so we had two cases opened at one time, we were supposed to have each of those social workers come to our house twice a month. And so you're you know working with these social workers. They're also supposed to be in visits with bio families. Yeah. So, like, yeah, how do they do all that, you know? So with all of that, Mr. Abraham Hamilton, is there anything that the average Christian can do to help the yeah. change this process? Yeah, I think there are several things. So starting with, as per your question, the individual Christian, um, people who are listening, man, consider whether the Lord may be calling you into social work, mm-hmm. you know, to, to fill mm-hmm. some of the gaps between the quantity of social workers that are available to help um, the children that are in the system and um, be that liaison between the children and the families and to serve in that capacity. I mean, that's that's ministry, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, in addition to that, I, I would encourage, you know, Christians and churches and pastors who are listening to me uh, to to revisit the scriptural instruction concerning adoption and to uh, a- endeavor to cultivate an, an environment in your local assemblies that celebrates and welcomes adoption mm-hmm. and encourages families uh, to do I mean, that is a part of the gospel. And you look at the scripture, the Bible explains that one of the, the primary mechanisms that God instituted for multi-generational discipleship is the family. Mm, yeah. You know, Malachi 2.15, you know, Ephesians chapter 6.4, you, you go on down, down the line, Psalm 127, Psalm 128. Um, the family is a primary mechanism to, to be able to um, advocate and advance the gospel into multiple generations. Psalm 78 is another one that comes to mind. And, and to see that, mm-hmm. you know, you have the opportunity to have someone who may not be your biological offspring, just as the scripture says that all of us by nature yeah. were children of wrath. Mm-hmm. By nature, we are not God's biological offspring. Com- contrary to popular belief, not all people are God's children. Wow. We are all God's creation. We're not all God's children. Galatians 3.26 says that we're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Entree into God's eternal family comes through the door, Jesus Christ. So what we have the opportunity to do is open our homes to children who may not be our biological offspring, but we get to have the volitional choice to say, you know what? You, we want to be ours and we want to be yours. And And with that relational context, have the opportunity to share the gospel and to catechize and to disciple these young ones to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can do that. If every church encouraged at least one family in our churches to adopt one child, foster one child, right. we would eviscerate the roles what? of that really statistically this true. This is statistically true. What? 
we would eliminate the numbers of children in foster and care. And some churches have thousands of members, right. and you're looking for one family. One family. So you said that churches need to um, be ready to help families adopt. Yes. How? What do they yes. do? Yes. One of the things, well, one of the things, and Mark can tell you this, uh, that we've done in our church, the Lord just moved us to create an adoption mission fund. Wow. You know, churches wow. all across the country have mission funds for international That's missions, amazing. foreign missions. And so because, and this is, I get on my soapbox here, but it is immoral mm. that it costs a paltry few mm-hmm. bucks uh, to sure. kill mm-hmm. a child mm-hmm. and it costs untold thousands to adopt a child privately. Yeah. Mm. So churches can include as a part of their domestic mission budget uh, funds to support their families who are willing to open their homes so that they're not shouldering that financial burden exclusively, but it that. can become a body-wide burden. And even if that you have families neat. in the church who mm-hmm. say, may say, you know what, God isn't moving us to be the ones to adopt, mm-hmm. but we want to provide resources to support those who are. And that way we can eliminate that as being an impediment because there are lots of people who on one hand, they want to participate, but they don't want the system in their homes mm-hmm. for lots of reasons, which <laughs> is understandable. But at the same time, they would be willing to adopt mm-hmm. if they could absorb that immoral Wow. The cost to do so, where well, the church could step in in that fashion and and provide those resources. And I have found that when people recognize, wait, so the resources won't be an impediment. Uh, they're willing to open their homes to bring children into their in, into their homes. So those are just some practical things wow. that can be done immediately. And that's a way for Christians who are pro life to put their money where their mouth is. Exactly right. And say I believe in this enough to help someone. Um, I love your perspective of viewing the system, you know, not just as Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. but as Nineveh, mm-hmm. you know, that we have to infiltrate the system and help mm-hmm. improve it from within. Abraham Hamilton, thank you so much for coming thank you. on. Thank you all for inviting me. <laughs> we appreciate, appreciate what you do. And if, if you're praying about considering adoption, I hope this episode was an encouragement that you'll take that to the Lord and allow him to move on your heart. For sure. And reach out social media wise or by our email at hannahsheart at afa.net if you have any questions.